0: glad that you're here. PG and Darlene are sitting over here and I heard so many great things about how VBS went and the family service last week. And I just want to say I love you guys. I'm so appreciative of you. And I know that you couldn't have done what you did last week and the week before without an incredible team of volunteers. And so I just, want you were sharing during prayer time at eight o'clock this morning, pre-service prayer, that we more than doubled the volunteers from the previous year. And so parents and, and leaders and volunteers that serve to make VBS possible, I just wanna say thank you. Let's express our appreciation to PG and Darlene and everyone who was a part of that. We have the best volunteers on the planet, and uh, and I just want to say thank you for investing your time. I know that there are plenty of time wasters in our day and age. If you want to waste time, there are plenty of ways to figure that out, and I'll just tell you that uh, it's never a waste of our time when we invest in the next generation. Our church will never miss the mark when we leverage our influence for the next generation, and Erica and I are so grateful to pastor a church that believes in the next generation, that loves the next generation, that serves the next generation that empowers the next generation. And this church will exist for a really long time as long as we continue to push everything down and leverage our influence for them. And so, so grateful uh, for each of you. Well, we've been in a series called Trust and Obey. If you've missed any of the previous weeks, we'd encourage you to go online to crosspointwaverly.com or find us on YouTube, Facebook, or take a listen on Spotify. We've been looking at this letter uh, that Peter wrote to some believers who, because of persecution, are scattered about to different regions. And in all of the trials and the persecution that they're experiencing and the suffering, there is this encouragement in this letter to them that God can and should be not only trusted but also obeyed. So this morning we're going to pick up in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there or you can scroll there on your digital devices, it'll also appear on the screen. And he just dives in in chapter 2, verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good... The stone that the, bu- the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they de- were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that they may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He continues, once you were not people, but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word and for the power that it has to transform our lives. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would fall fresh on us anew this morning. How does we look at your word? Would you make it come alive to us? Open up our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and our minds to understand what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Peter's already laid the groundwork in chapter 1 for this passage. He calls the believers the elect. He calls them the, the chosen people of God. His followers of Jesus were picked by him. What a thought that God would choose us. Peter writes that because God has chosen you and you're children of God, then you need to act like it. He reminds them of the standard that God has called believers to, which is holiness. In chapter 1, verse 15, he says, And the one who called you is holy, you also be holy. Because of the affirmation and the instructions that have been given, chapter 2 just dives in with five things that that should not mark the life of a believer. So in the the first version that we read this morning, it says, So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and slander. The King James Version reads this way, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. And the NIV reads, Therefore, rid yourself of all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Three different words. Put away, lay aside, rid yourself. Put away, lay aside, and rid yourself of these five sins. I have a confession to make to you This morning, and it's this, that if I was left to my own devices, I would be a hoarder. When it comes to most things, I think that they will be useful in the future. Now, fortunately, I'm married to a wife who does not permit me to be a hoarder. I remember when we were newlyweds, I had gotten a Sunday paper. I had set it on the couch. I had not even opened it, and because I had not read it in the amount of time that she thought that I should read it in, it was in the garbage. Like, that's how much of a hoarder my wife is not. And so she's not even gonna let me have a paper on the couch for a while. She was shaking her head during first service, like, I can't believe you're telling that story. But if left in my own devices, that's what would happen. And so as a result, my desk in my office can become cluttered. How many can relate? you like, some of you are like, yeah, and others of you are like, know, I'm in denial. Um, and so what happens when I know that one of you is coming to visit me in the office? I open up that top drawer. And I quickly shut it because there's no room. And so then I open up the second drawer. And again, I have to do the same thing. I have to shut it because there's no room. And I open up the third drawer, and I'm like, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And I take the stuff off of my desk, and I put it into the drawer. And here's the the problem with that is all I'm doing is delaying the inevitable. At some point, I'm going to have to deal with my junk. And when Peter is telling us to put away these things, he's not talking about finding space in one of our drawers to put it to where one day we can pull it out and deal with it again. He's not encouraging us to go get a storage unit somewhere where we can lock it away for a little bit. Instead, what Peter is saying is that we need to put it away for good. Our family was recently at Alcatraz. What an incredibly sobering place. For the, for the prisoners, the, it was a place of hopelessness. They were told that this would be a place that they would go to die, that their family would never uh, visit them, and they would never hear from their family again. For those who had been victims of those that were uh, placed in Alcatraz, it was a place of hope that they would never have to see or hear from them ever again. And their thoughts would be uh, to them, lock them up and throw away the key. Peter knows how deadly these five things are, and he's encouraging believers to put these things away. To not just store them away somewhere, but to take these things to Alcatraz, lock them up in solitary confinement, and throw away the key. This list isn't comprehensive lists, but it's, things that, it's a list of things that believers should trust God with to put away. This morning we were singing this song, East to West, by, uh, that Pastor Levinsky was leading us in, and I need to find uh, the lyrics. Here's what it said. I remember that prison cell that held me in my sin and guilt. I remember I was left for dead. Shame said no, but your grace said yes. And here's the invitation of Peter, and here's the invitation of Jesus. Jesus. That we would take our sin and our shame and that we would lock it up in the past and that we would throw away the key. And that in our relationship with Jesus, we leave the shame and the sin and the past and instead we walk in the freedom that he has for us. We put away these things. He says that uh, the reason why he tells us to put these things away are found in verses 5 and verse number 12. We're a holy priesthood. And to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. In verse 12, he says to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So why do we need to put away these things? Well, we need to put them away because God expects it. Our calling requires it and our witness demands it. We'll look at those a a little later in the message. But and so look right now at the list that he's saying we need to put away. He says we need to put away all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. And the first sin that he addresses in this list that he encourages us to, to lock up and to throw away the key is malice. With each of these words that we're going to look at this morning, we're going to look at the biblical definition. There are a couple of ways to describe or define malice. The first way is a mean-spirited or vicious attitude or venomous disposition. How many think that that should not mark the life of a believer? The second is a character trait that fills the need to, to see others suffer. Again, it's obvious why Peter would tell us to put these things away. It's not a behavior or characteristic that should be in the same sentence with someone who is a follower of Jesus. In fact, Proverbs chapter 24, verse number 17 says, Do not rejoice and gloat when your enemy falls. Do not let your heart be glad in self-righteousness when he stumbles, or the Lord will see your gloating and be displeased and turn his anger away from your enemy. If we fear the Lord, and we should, because the Bible tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, then this verse should cause us to stop and take note. Malice is a characteristic of the devil, not a characteristic of God. And we are called to be imitators of Christ. There are a couple of different types of snakes in the world. There are venomous snakes and non-venomous snakes. And some of you are like, nope, there's only one type of snake in the world when I see it, and that's a dead snake. Yeah, this side, like... You know, this side over here, y'all are like snake-loving people. You know, you're like, I'm not killing a snake. So, uh, like, there are even plants that are so toxic that they cause people to suffer in pain. And so anybody who's allergic to poison ivy or poison oak has experienced this. If you just brush up against it, it causes uh, misery, there's a flowering plant that resembles an apple tree, but the looks are very deceptive, and it's found in tropical North America and northern South America. Every part of the tree, the bark, the leaves, the fruit, every bit of it is toxic. If your skin comes into contact with it, it'll leave a blister like you've been burnt by an iron. Even standing underneath the tree when it's raining, if a raindrop gets on you, it'll blister your skin. One lady decided that she would take a bite of the fruit of the tree, and here was her uh, her description of that. When ingested, the fruit is reportedly pleasantly sweet at first, with a subsequent strange peppery feeling, gradually progressing to a burning, tearing sensation and tightness of the throat. Some t- Symptoms continue to worsen until the patient can barely swallow solid food because of the excruciating pain and the feeling of a huge obstructing lump. Everything about that tree is intent on harming and killing you. And people who are filled with malice are the same way. There are people who are so malicious and spiteful that they cause pain the moment that you come into contact with them. It seems like their life goal is to inflict as much pain as possible. And Peter, for obvious reasons, says if there's a piece of that in your life that you're currently struggling with or that describes you currently, you need to repent of that and put malice away for good. Lock it up and throw away the key. The second word that he talks about is deceit. Deceit defined as taking advantage through crafty and underhanded methods. From the beginning of time, deception has been a problem for people. We can look way back to Genesis chapter 3 at the beginning of the Bible and see the fall of Adam and Eve and how deception uh, had multiple layers in that story. In verse number 8 it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Look at the self-deception that they had, that they thought that they could hide from God. Verse number nine says, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? For those of you who aren't familiar with this passage, God is not, uh, Adam and Eve are not lost to God. He is completely aware of where they are. He's asking them this question, and Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And he already knows the answer. And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate the lord said to the serpent because you've done this curse are you above all livestock above the beasts of the field on your belly you shall go the dust you shall eat and all the days of your life i'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel the serpent deceived eve eve deceived adam and both of them deceived themselves deception is still destroying people today People have deceived themselves when it comes to God. And we see the deception at the beginning of the Bible. We also see it at the end of the Bible. In Revelation 21, 8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars and deceivers, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Peter Peter writes that to put deceit away, to lock it up and throw away the key. The third word in this group is hypocrisy, something that maybe many of us are a little more familiar with because it's one of the greatest excuses as to why people don't come to church. I don't want to go to church it's full of hypocrites, right? How many have ever heard that? There's a reason why Peter says to put away hypocrisy, to lock it up, to throw away the key. Hypocrisy, simply put, is creating a public impression that's at odds with one's real purpose or motivation. Another way to say it is the characteristic of acting in a way that is inconsistent with one's character, belief system, or speech. Our family recently hiked through the Redwood Forest, and if you haven't been there, it's hard to describe, like, Words don't do it justice. Pictures don't do it justice. It's majestic, honestly, to to stand by trees that are so massive, declaring the glory of God, and to realize that some of them would have been around when Jesus was walking. The earth is just mind-boggling. And so while we're there, of course we have to drive through one of the trees. And so here's a picture of that. It's a massive tree. I mean, there was very little space on both sides. I had to trust my son to direct me because your mirrors are folded in. And uh, and so we we did that. And on the outside, that tree looks absolutely majestic. But when you pull that van out of there and you look up into the tree, the tree is hollow. And so on the outside, it's a picture of strength. And a picture of majesty, but on the inside it's hollow. This is a perfect picture of hypocrisy, projecting an image of strength on the outside while hollow and rotten on the inside. Peter writes to put hypocrisy away, to lock it up and throw away the key. The fourth word in this list is envy. Envy defined as spite and resentment towards the success or possessions of another. Envy so destructive, and one motivation for why believers should put away envy is when we think of the origin of envy and the source and the effects of envy. Like we realize that envy is what got Satan cast into hell. He envied and wanted what God had, and it led to his utter and eternal destruction. Envy still causing destruction today. Job chapter 5, verse number 2 says, Resentment kills a fool, and envy slays the simple. The biblical illustrator book said this about envy. It deforms our natures. It makes a man suspicious, malicious, contentious. It makes us to provoke, backbite, and practice evil against, against our neighbors. Envy makes people do crazy things. It destroys human relationships. Envy shows up in multiple ways. People envy one another's occupation or their jobs or their, their positions or their possessions or their success. And even uh, talent, and even in the church world, people can envy other spiritual gifts. Peter says to put away envy. I like what Henrietta Mears said. She said, the, the man who keeps busy helping the man below him won't have time to envy the man above him, and there may not be anybody above him anyway. What a perspective. Peter wrote to put away envy, and the final thing that he wrote to put away in verse number one is slander. Slander is the act of speaking ill of another. Another way to define slander is abusive words spoken that damage a person's reputation, communicating false and negative claims about another. More than just this one word in this passage, it's really talking about a category of evil speaking. Evil speaking is so destructive to the church, slander and gossip should have no place in the life of a believer. Hobbes wrote, a gossiper usually knows where to take his garbage. Avoid making your ears someone else's garbage can. Think about that. Peter writes that we're to put away all evil speak, to lock it up and throw away the key. And, and he tells believers not only the things that they shouldn't do in this, and again, it's not a comprehensive list, but then he goes to write how we can overcome these things. In verse 2, he says, Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. In verse 3, that if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is good. In order to rid ourselves of the sin that so easily entangles us, we have to consume pure spiritual milk pure spiritual milk is the word of God. A number of years ago, I loved drinking Dr. Pepper and Diet Coke. And even right now, as I talk about it, my mouth is watering as I can just envision a fountain pop with all of the bubbles pouring up and the smell of it and even the taste of the bubbles and the pop. Like some of you right now, you're like, man, I could go for a Diet Coke right now. And and so the taste of it is still so distinct to me. It's easy for me to describe it and define what that experience was like because of so many years of drinking it. And, and a number of years ago, I cut all of that out, and now I just drink plain soda water. There's no flavor in it. There's no sugar in it. There's nothing. It's just gassy water, and some of you are like, "Yeah." And I'll tell you that if you accidentally drink soda water, and you've never had it before, it's not gonna be pleasing to your taste buds, right? Especially when your taste buds are used to drinking something sweet. And I'll just tell you, it's the same way when people first taste and see of the goodness of God. In fact, even in this passage, there may be some of you who are here this morning or some who are watching online, and you're like, I don't like the taste of this. Maybe some of you are like, I like the taste of envy, Better than this. I like the taste of malice and deceit and hypocrisy and and the taste of slander. I hope that's not the case. And if it is, I hope that at the end of this message today, which is coming soon for those of you who are like, when are you going to wrap up? It is coming. But I hope that at the end of this message today, that if these words are part of your life, that you'll repent of that and turn to God and to lock it up and leave it in the past. The message of the gospel for some uh, doesn't taste good initially, but as we continue to drink it, the pure spiritual milk is refreshing and it leads to positive growth in the life of a believer. Peter writes to taste and see that the Lord is good and he's not uh, telling them something new. Instead, he's reminding them of what the psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 34. He starts out with, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. The angels of the Lord encamps in, in, in around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. They've already tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and he's reminding them to go back to the source of that goodness. The goodness keeps them coming back, and I'm just telling you that when we acquire a taste for this, it will keep us coming back to it. So right now, if you're one of those people who are like, I don't like the taste of this, I encourage you, keep diving into it and allow your taste buds to change. Let the things of God mark your life. When we put away those things, we crave pure spiritual milk verse 9 tells us what will happen he says but you're a chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light we are God's possessions we proclaim the excellencies of the one who has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light aren't you grateful that he's called you out of darkness Aren't you grateful that he's called you into his marvelous light? Aren't you grateful that you've tasted and you've seen of the goodness of God? Aren't you grateful that you've been set free from your past? Peter's reminding them of these things. He says to put away these five things, to taste and see that the Lord is good. And just in, in, in another moment, because of the affirmation that he's given to him, he continues to just press them. In verse 11, he urges them to abstain from the passions of the flesh, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, because the priesthood of believers should live their way in such a, live their lives in such a way that when people look at you, they say, that, "That must be God's kid right there. That must be God's kid right there. It's hilarious for me to look at Facebook. And see pictures of people that I went to school with 20 plus years ago. And to see their, them post pictures of their families. And to see how their kids look the same as what they looked like when they were that age. And so if I were to go to Memphis and I were to see one of these people's kids who I haven't seen in years. I could look at them and go, you're so and so's kid. Because the character traits are all over them. Come on, what would it look like for us as followers of Jesus to put aside all sin, to put aside the things that don't bring glory to God, that when we're living among people, they look at us and say, that's God's kid right there. That the glory of God would be so great on us that it would be undeniable. We should live our lives in such a way that our heavenly Father's qualities are evident and obvious in our lives. We'll wrap up this morning with verse 12. He gives them yet another push. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation were to abstain from the sinful desires, not only for our own spiritual well-being, but also to maintain an effective witness and testimony before unbelievers. How amazing would it be that if someone made an accusation against us, that there would be absolutely no way that it could be true, that even those who made the accusation would have to stand before God on Judgment Day And realize that, that there's no way possible. And that's the life that Peter is calling people to. Maybe there's some of you this morning, you're like, well, you don't understand my life. There's an excuse and there's a reason that I have to be able to continue to live in sin. Peter's writing to a group of people who have been displaced, they have lost their homes, they're no longer living in their hometown, they're living in different regions. If anybody had an excuse it would be them and instead of saying you have an excuse to be envious and instead of saying you have an excuse to be to have deceit and hypocrisy and slander mark your life and malice he's saying even with all that you've experienced you need to put away that stuff lock it up and throw away the key he's and then pushes them even more To push out the things that don't glorify God and to elevate the things that glorify God. And this morning, the words that Peter wrote to the believers in are still just as applicable and relevant to us today. And it's still the call of God upon our lives, that we would live our lives in such a way that it would bring glory and honor to him and not shame. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes all across this room. Maybe there are some of you who've come in today and you don't have a relationship with God. You've never asked him to forgive you of your sin. You've never confessed Jesus as your Savior. You say, today I want to become a follower of him. Maybe there are others of you who at one time walked with God, but you've turned your back on him. You say, today I need to see my relationship restored back to him. Just a moment with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, you say, I need to ask Jesus to come into my life for the very first time. You say, I need to see my relationship restored back to him. When I count to three, why don't you slip up your hands all across this room? One, two, three. Lift them up all across this room. Thank you. I see those hands. Four hands are up this morning. You can put them down. Are there others this morning? Thank you, God. Let's all stand. There are at least four hands that went up of people who need to ask Jesus to come into their life for the very first time or see their relationship restored back to him. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And if you raise your hand, I want you to repeat it after me and mean it with everything that's within you. And know that you won't be praying this prayer alone, but that each of us in support of you will also be praying. Let's pray. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus to die on the cross for me. I admit that I'm a sinner. I admit that I've messed up. This morning I ask for your forgiveness. Come and give me a fresh start. Be my savior. Be my king. Take over every area. Take over every aspect and help me from this day forward to live for you with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, with all of my strength. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give God praise for what he's done this morning. If you raise your hand, we want to encourage you in the decision that you've made today. We'd ask that you would text the word yes to 319 Two five zero eight nine nine eight. Again, text the word yes to 319-250-8998. We want to encourage you in the decision that you've made and the journey that God wants to take you on. We leave time at the end of each of our services for people to receive prayer. In just a moment, the prayer team is going to make their way to both sides of the stage. And if you've come here today needing prayer for anything, I'd encourage you to step out of your seat and let someone pray for you. So I'm going to pray. Worship team is going to lead us in this next song. And the prayer team will come up front. Again, if you have a need, I'd encourage you to step out. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, a challenge to live lives that are holy and pleasing to you. And so, God, I pray this morning that you would search our hearts, not just with the five things that were outlined in verse number one, but in all things that aren't pleasing and glorifying to you. God, this morning, I pray that you would give us the courage to not take that element or that sin in our life and just stuff it away in a drawer somewhere to later deal with. But instead, God, I pray that you would give us the courage and the power to lock it up and throw away the key. Lord, that those who be markers of our past and not of our present and our future. Lord, for those this morning that are bound in the chains of sin so strong. I pray that, that today that there would be a moment where they would experience deliverance. God, I pray that maybe somebody in this room this morning is so, so bound up and addicted. God, would you give them the courage to step out of their seat today and experience freedom. So Lord, help us in every way of our lives to bring glory to you. That even as unbelievers, would look to us that they wouldn't be able to find anything wrong in us and it would bring glory to you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope that this message was inspiring and encouraging. For more information about this message or about all things Crosspoint, check out our Facebook and head to our website at www.crosspointwaverly.com.